0: Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. On this episode, we are resuming our discussion on the F four Phantom II, and we will be doing that with Tiger and Fingers. But right now, we got
1: Sunshine on the line. And what'd you think of the last episode, Bud? Dude, loved it. I, it's stunning, though. So the Princeton grad there, Tiger, right? Three thousand, three thousand F four hours, and thirty just fi- in the F four, and then oh, by the way, he went on to fly the F fourteen. Yeah, holy cow! In <laughs> thirty five years of active and reserve service, and then. Yeah, and then fingers with uh, 2000 hours right in the backseat of the F4, though. So, just another amazing story. And I can't wait for the listeners to hear the story of how he got his call sign, fingers.
0: Well, it's not a great story, but now that it's over, we can all laugh about it. And he's certainly learned (laughs) how to deal with it.
1: Great attitude. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And on that note, Sunshine, I just want to comment that when I interview someone, I usually try to do just a little bit of editing to make everyone sound their best. Mm-hmm. So for, 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 for example, if someone says four ten 10 times, like I just did on purpose, <laughs> I cut about six of those out <laughs> and I just make it, you know, it's like putting makeup on. You're already beautiful, but then you're more beautiful with makeup. So, uh, but the point I'm trying to get to eventually here is that when it comes time for fingers to tell his story of the call sign and his, imprisonment leading up to that, I don't do any editing. I felt like I would be Mm -hmm. doing a disservice to him and the story. And so if there are longer than normal pauses in your mind, that's how he normally speaks. And I didn't cut and pull those together. I just thought I owed that him dignity of just letting him tell that story. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think kind of preserving that sanctity of that such a amazing story. You know what I'm saying? Pretty crazy. So I think perfect to leave unedited. So absolutely. Okay. Well, then why don't we just get to it? All right.
0: Fingers in the back seat. What, did you have side controllers for the Rio, or did, was there another set of flight controls, or was it interchangeable? Like in the F eighteen D and F, they can either configure it for a wizzo in that case or an instructor pilot. What did the back seat of an F four have?
2: Nothing. No, no controls on well, No had, flight had, controls you, at you all. You had the, you had the uh, radar control, and the um, no controls for flying the airplane. No, no. It was okay. Strictly, well, the that's all the Navy Phantoms and Marines. Uh, the Air Force, they
3: build them with uh, sticks in the back seat, too.
0: There was a time they actually put pilots in the back right. instead of were, dedicated radios. Right, right.
3: My, yeah. my flight lead, my second tour was an Exchange Air Force pilot, and he had had his whole first tour in the back seat of an F 4 in the Air Force. Oh, wow. And then he goes back to shore duty somewhere, and then he came back to the Navy, and, and now he gets to fly in the front seat <laughs> in another combat tour. Oh, wow. On the
2: ship. No kidding. Okay.
0: That's no, crazy.
3: No, we had no. Uh, no controls or anything. Back well,
0: there. I know the F-14 didn't either. So, yeah. John Ed, when mm-hmm. you went through training, your first flight was a bit, essentially a solo. I mean, I'm sure there was a pilot in the back, but he couldn't reach controls or anything. That's correct. Oh wow. Yeah, I okay. mean,
3: that's there are no two seater F or, or two
0: Control,
3: controls set. in the F-14. Oh. The F-4, uh, the, the, I, the A had, model had a, a two okay. a stick, the in the A back. models had a stick in the back.
0: Okay, and there were some and, of those in and, the
2: training commands, and they were in the mm-hmm. training command. now, okay. yeah, but. um I think only a handful. I mean, maybe four, fifty, or sixty of them, or something right. like that.
0: All right. Now we were talking still about strengths. How about any weaknesses? Nobody ever likes to admit weaknesses of their baby on these interviews. But one is fairly obvious. Early F fours were pretty smoky, and the problem mm-hmm. with smoky engines is it makes it relatively easy to gain an initial tally mm-hmm. and then keep it in the visual arena. Uh, what else would you be willing? I mean, they fixed that. As did yeah, they? Yeah, they fixed
2: it after the war. As did the oh, after yeah, the unfortunately. war. Unfortunately, all right. Yeah, the smokeless engine did not come until after Vietnam was over. Sure.
0: So for the folks on the ground, it's good for them too if oh, you're yeah, smoking because, you because in, they can see you.
2: You'd have to go into burner, men uh, in burner, to get rid of that smoke when you're going in, right. which is doing what? Is eating up your gas. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a trade-off there. What
0: was the smoke, by the way? And this is where I wish sunshine was here. I'm sure you could tell me, but it's just unburned particulate from the fuels, basically? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So they figured out a way finally to chemically fix that, or hmm. different JP or something. All right. Any other? I, th- I think the,
3: the afterburner would yeah. uh, would allow this would dissipate the smoke. So as Jack said, that was a common tactic. On the run end, you'd go to min burner. And the smoke would disappear. Yeah, but you're now, you know, right, fifteen miles out of the merge, and you're in min burner.
0: So, mm-hmm. which means you got to manage your speed because and if you, you show up them. too fast, yeah. that's actually a liability and not an asset. I,
3: I think that the the min burner concept worked for only for the visual part. The rest of the, the rest of the, the yeah. advantages were disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And it's uh, turning radius in in horizontal too was
2: was a uh, an other an other for the F four two that's why. Our fight was vertical, you right? Know, go up, which didn't really we, come back
0: to the F four until Top Gun came along, right? That's right, as, right. as I read it, okay. Because also, we
2: could we could uh, you know with those engines, I mean, you could yeah. out you could climb your opponent and mm. then turn back around, yeah, right. So All right. so the horizontal turning I think was a, a disadvantage of
3: it too.
0: Tiger, were you an LSO by any chance? I was not. Okay. Because I heard anecdotally that they could use the smoke as an idea of what the pilot was doing, I at least in the daytime.
3: Yeah, wouldn't surprise me at yeah, all. Because oh, yeah. you use be the whole what?
0: aircraft anyway in your ears and yeah. everything.
3: So. The, uh, I think the, from my perspective, one of the biggest disadvantages was the lack of fuel. Mm-hmm. I, I know that an hour 45 cycle on the ship, you were pressed, especially if you're coming back from a not an Alpha Strike, but any other mission that was mm-hmm. on a cycle you were strapped, you were usually trick or treat at the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, your first pass was you yeah. better get aboard or you're going to have to go tank. Right. 1.5. Because, yeah, you didn't have enough gas to. And, and I flew the F 14 and it was like, gosh, we've got twice the amount of gas in an engine that <laughs> burns half the amount that the Phantom did almost. And so it was like, no big deal. Hmm. But in the Phantom, you were always on the edge of for And fuel. In
2: order to get more gas, you'd have to carry the wing tanks over the center line. Right. I mean, and the wing tanks, that was, those were more drag and...
0: and but was that a standard configuration? And the F-18 deployed, you almost never took the tanks off, maybe for an air power demonstration, but otherwise you had at least two, sometimes three,
2: The The two, squ- two squadrons I was in, the F-21, 161R, standard configuration was a centerline tank and, uh, you know,
3: two sparrows and four sidewinders okay. for a fighter. fighter uh,
2: and what did
0: the F-4 carry internally for fuel?
3: Thirteen thousand four hundred pounds oh. internally, and, and centerline seventeen thousand. Yeah, but my squadron, bef- the crews before, carried three tanks the whole crews. and they finally said, "Why are we carrying three tanks?" So they dropped the the, the wing tanks, mm. and they found out that it, the extra weight and fuel burned carrying Drag. those tanks didn't, right. didn't help really, you that much. It was a wash, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the centerline was the was the mm. was the configuration of of uh, <laughs> the standard configuration. Yeah. Tiger,
0: when was your last flight in an F four?
3: Uh, in F4, yeah. November of 1984. So that's what
0: 30 some odd years ago, yeah. You rattled off those fuel numbers like you just yeah. f- hopped out of the thing this
3: morning. I <laughs> love the airplane, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know I, lots of things I've forgotten, uh, but some things, yeah, some things stick with
0: you, yeah. you. You don't have careers like you gentlemen had and not walk away different I mean it's just especially fingers with your story here we're about to get to but yeah, yeah that. I, I mean I asked you the fuel and boom you rattled it right off that's that's
3: awesome All like right. I said fuel was a concern you yeah know, for sure
2: and you know, they always had a nag in the back seat asking you how much fuel we got. Yeah. So that that was another advantage. Another I advantage think, of the multi crew concept. You, Absolutely, it was kind of like flying with your wife. You know, somebody <laughs> nag you all the time, right? Yeah.
0: Was that like a best practice for a Rio? Is <laughs> nag? Oh dear me. All right. Well, where would the listener who maybe doesn't know or have lived the life that we left led? Obviously, we know the F four pretty well, but for the casual observer, where would they have seen the F four either? in you know everyday life or in hollywood what notoriety every, is the everyday
3: life would be the blue angels and the thunderbirds a few years ago when Back they both now. were flying this that was in the Back 70s in the 60s and 70s 69 yeah. to 74
0: i believe yep. it was yeah. and they were the that was the only time both teams flew the flew exact the same, same kind airport, of airplane right? yeah yeah uh, maybe different models but they both oh, flew yeah. the F4 yeah
3: yeah okay uh, I think we talked about this earlier. I, the, there's a movie, great movie, but The Great Santini. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. was the story of a Marine F4. I'm trying to think where else. Well, there's
2: a lot of places around the, the uh, country they are on display at museums sure. or mm-hmm. up on posts. and mm-hmm. uh, like, like the that. one on the
0: Midway you told like us Midway, about earlier. There are yeah. actually
2: two on the Midway. Oh. Um, one of them is configured as a bomber mode, and it's got the, the bombs on it to show okay. you what it could carry in bombs. And then the one that uh, I like to call the Midway Phantom was the one that I talked about earlier right. that we got down there and is painted up on one side with the VF 21 colors as that they had in, in 1965 when the first two MiGs of the war were shot down. Okay. And then on the starboard side is painted up in 161 colors, uh, which. Huh. Uh, when the last meg of the war was shot down in January, so the first January, and the last, second, first and last, <laughs> so that represents the beginning and the end of the air war in Vietnam. Okay, both by Phantoms flying off USS Midway. So okay, it's kind of historic.
0: Sure. Well, you were involved with a shoot down, were you not? Fingers.
2: Yeah. A couple when, of. Them. When? When? Okay. <laughs>
0: when was? When was that?
2: Well, the, um, the fun part one, uh, <laughs> the thrill of victory, so to speak. <laughs> that was. Uh, Twenty-three May, nineteen seventy-two.
0: Okay, well, that's there. getting towards the end of the war. There's less than a year left before the yeah.
2: folks and, came uh, home. We uh, we had a section of uh, phantoms, and we were on a midcap mission going up um, to place ourselves between Kep and um, Haiphong, where the alpha strike was going in. Uh-huh. And uh, as soon as we crossed the beach up there, uh, we got a call from our controller out on the on the, uh, red ground, and gave us a vector said uh Rock River one hundred is our, our call sign Rock River's your call sign. Okay. Uh, Rock River was squadron's call sign. And we were flying uh, bird number one hundred. Rock River one hundred. Your vector is know two seven zero thirty some miles, something like that. And uh, you have bandits. So we started going and and my my uh, pilot Muggs McEwen, uh, which um, He's a whole story in himself. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. We can talk a lot about that. <laughs> God
2: rest his soul. He's gone now. But Okay. Um, so we we start, we take a vector, and uh, he said to me, he said, Jack, he said, did he say bandits? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, call him, and ask him. I said, did you say bandits? Because bandit meant it's a confirmed MiG. You know, we used to get, you'd had a bogey or something like that. But right. if they say bandit, it was. Right, enemy. So I called back to the Red Crown, I said, uh, did you say Bandit? He said, Roger Bandit. He said, You're cleared to arm, cleared to fire. Wow. And so we're we're going in with a clear to fire.
0: Hmm. Well, this was what the F four was designed
2: to do. Perfect. right. Okay. <laughs> so we're going over and of course we're in the B. And uh we, we get, talked
0: about what it doesn't like over well, land. It doesn't
2: like over <laughs> land. So it, it all the ground return and everything like that was hard as hell to, to sort out any contacts and and halfway into the merge, our wingman, uh, Rookie Rab and, and uh, Ken Crandall, Crandall comes up and said, uh, hey, I'm I'm a lid nose. I just lost my radar. So we got one radar and two airplanes, and we're going in there. So I'm searching, 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 and, and I can't find anything. And finally, we're getting closer, and I thought I had a, a contact, and I tried to lock it up. It wouldn't lock, wouldn't lock. But by that time, we were, I don't know, six or seven miles, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mug says, tally-ho, on the nose. What we saw were two MiG-19s coming through. Okay, And, um, of course, the closure rate was pretty quick. And they went right between us. We were in Hmm. combat spread. So a mile and and a half apart. A mile and a half, mile. And uh, MiG-19s went screaming through. And uh, Muggs said, uh, you know, cross-turn, we'll go high, you go low. We cross-turn right there. Mm. And thinking that, you know, we had our fangs out. Because two of our shipmates had just shot down two MiG-19s a week before in that same area. So we thought, oh boy, we're going to get us some MiG-19s. <laughs> well, we screwed up. We didn't clear behind them like we should have. Ah. And there were four MiG-17s in trail behind them. Red Crown uh, didn't tell you this? No, they didn't see them because okay. they, were, they were low and they they didn't tell us that we thought we were just going against two. And Whether Red Crown ever knew it or not, I don't know. But So um, their plan, which I confirmed when we went over to uh, Vietnam in 2016 and met one of those pilots in in person, their plan was that it was a a trap. 19s were the bait. Mm. We were supposed to turn on them, which we did. And then they were going (laughs) to be behind us and shoot us down. Right. But they had neglected to leave enough nose-to-tail separation between the two elements. And instead of breaking between the two of them, we broke into the formation of the four big seventeens. Oh wow! So um, that's when the excrement hit the air conditioning system, as they say. <laughs> and uh, all right. So we we started turning, and and uh, Mugs started turning on one of the seventeens. And about that time, one of the nineteens had come back through the fight. So he thought that was a better one, and he was going to confide that and get on the nineteen. And by this time, I'm out of the cockpit. I mean, radars. You right. Know, I'm. I'm just checking. You're in a knife fight now six. with a we're group in a knife of people fight in a phone booth. Mm. So we're screaming, and I, I look back and I see one at eight o'clock, and um, he's starting to saddle in on us like this, and it makes seventeen, and um, you can't see my hands, folks, but I, I'm shooting my watch down right now. <laughs> but anyway. He's starting to close in on us and starting to shoot. And I said, uh, "Mugs, eight o'clock, track and shoot, and uh, do some of that pilot stuff." And he pulled off the nineteen, looked back, and he said, "Holy expletive!" <laughs> and uh, and the maneuvering that airplane so violently to break it, the track that we actually departed the airplane. Oh. And it did a backflip. Ooh! Complete backflip. And I, you know, I'm fighting back there, trying to. What in the hell are you doing up there? I'm trying to keep my eye on this guy back here, and, and we're going around and oh, and Muggs pulled out of it. He gained the, the control, pulled out of it, and then, lo and behold, that seventeen was up in front of us, and we took a shot at him, but we were out of we, we didn't out of zone or whatever, didn't get it. So we turned and we got him engaged with a couple more. We got another shot on another one, and he defeated the missile again too. So we. Uh, we're kind of feeling sorry for ourselves. You know, boy, here we've blown two shots and haven't got anybody. And that time, this time, I'm looking back at 4 o'clock, and another 17 is tracking us, and he's just coming up on us. And I see the the uh, big old orange 37 start coming at us. Yikes. And I called it out to Muggs, and he looked back and let out another expletive of some kind. <laughs> comrade <Calm laughs> And started turning hard into him to break mm-hmm. a tracking solution. And when he did that, the MiG-17 just pulled up and all we saw was his nose, underside of his his nose. Hmm. Mugs had been part of the exploitation program, have done have done it, have drill. Mm-hmm. And he had actually flown one of the 17. Really? So when he saw that, he immediately realized that guy couldn't see us because you couldn't see over that nose. Sure. So he came out, he just went to idle went full stick forward and we just zero G'd mm. and we, and he kept turning and we're zero G away from him until pretty soon he starts wiggling his wing, looking for us. By that time we had built enough separation. The mugs came back around, pulled up behind him like that. And we got a good tone and that was our first kill. No kidding. And, uh, so we looked across the circle in the meantime, while I'm talking about all this, what we we're doing, our little dance up there, uh, <laughs> Rookie and Ken had gone low, and they couldn't get. They had a Mig seventeen or two tracking them. The uh, they were actually flying at treetop level, trying to wow. shake these guys. And we we saw what was going on across the circle after we got our kill. And Bugs uh, said, uh, "You know, drag him east, west, whatever it was." And so he kept dragging him over, and we came. Did a barrel roll behind and came, got behind the other MIG mm-hmm. and shot him off rookie and Ken's tail, and uh, that was our second kill of the day. And uh, by that time, we were we were talking about fuel earlier, right? right. We were kind of <laughs> sucking on fuel, so we joined up and uh, got the hell out of Dodge and got out and had a tanker waiting for us. We tanked and came back and landed it. So that was our. Uh, this thrill of victory. Wow. To, uh
0: What were the missiles employed? Uh, sidewinders. Sidewinders. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the time between the first and the second—I mean, seconds, thirty seconds. Maybe. Oh
2: yeah, but <laughs> well, the whole fight probably didn't last ten minutes. I mean, uh, it was—I mean, at those speeds, mm-hmm. I would say probably ten, twelve, maximum fifteen minutes. I, I don't even think it last no, that long. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, think. I'd be surprised if it was that long. Yeah. No, hmm. because you know it, it just—it happens so quickly, uh, right? And uh, so we uh, came back and landed, and, I, and that's when I thought, oh, hell, we just been through a big dogfight. And Mugs come back, and, of course, he's going to okay, all right, we're going to do a shit hot flyby. <laughs> and he tells rookie, okay, you go starboard side. I'm going on the port side, we're going to go in, and we're going down, and we're flying along and the speed of heat. And I'm looked out like that, and I'm looking at the port side of the ship's uh, flight deck. Right at eye level. At uh, canopy <laughs> level. And I said, Muggs, if you kill us here, I'm I'm never going to speak to you. <laughs> but we went up, popped up, did what right. we do, and came back and landed. Mm-hmm. and Went to the ready room to tell everybody how great we were. But uh, that was uh, a pretty exciting day.
0: I guess. Well, that is a pretty exciting sea story. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let me ask you this. If the radar had cooperated, was your training and... Mindset such that had you had a lock at 10 or 12 or more miles, you would have fired a sparrow? Long oh, range. yeah, because we, yeah.
2: we had cleared a fire. Right. They were right. said banter.
3: Which is very unusual. Yeah, Right, very right. Mm-hmm.
2: That was my point. But it, we just couldn't. As a matter of fact, uh, we had the, the um, also the, what do you call it? Pilot lock-on. Pilot lock-on uh, mm-hmm. capability, too. And I couldn't get a lock as far out. And as we got closer, Muggs tried that, too, and it still wouldn't lock on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if, if we didn't got a good lock on, we didn't let a sparrow go, sure. But as you know, at the closure rates you're talking about, right. you know, the the opportunity is very, right. very narrow.
0: And for where you were, well, were, were ground threats not an issue? And was that because of either where you were or because obviously there was Mig's there too?
2: Well, the whole fight actually occurred damn near right over Cap Airfield,
0: which is where the AAA training. was well, would at. be
2: like having a dogfight over Miramar. <laughs> As a matter of fact, remember that one MiG seventeen pilot that said he was on he was on the he watch. Was, he, yeah, he was on the
3: ground watching the whole watching. And
2: He said he was on the ground. He watched the whole fight. Okay. So, I mean that's so it was interesting. So
0: you went back in two thousand sixteen and met some of your former adversaries.
2: Yeah, John and I were part of uh, eleven of us. Eleven. Yeah. Uh, well, what was that? Navy, like? Marine, and and Air Force guys. Yeah. And we went back and we met. Uh, there were. About twenty of them, I think.
3: Twenty Vien- former North Vietnamese, mm-hmm. now Vietnamese, pilots. Vietnamese sir. pilots. Sure.
2: And um, we uh, got to meet. Him. It was it was kind of uh, strange in a way, but right. I mean, uh, Colonel Lamb, the the one uh, uh, MiG pilot, seventeen pilot. As I said, he was the first one that I saw at eight o'clock. Mm. He was the one that I got to talk to. There are two of out of the six pilots. There were two of them were still alive. Both seventeen pilots. And uh, one of them lived down in uh, Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City, I guess they call it now. Right. And he didn't come up there. And I heard, learned from Colonel Lamb that uh, that day I learned that the first guy that we shot down died that day. He did not survive the ejection. We both the makes we shot they ejected. Right. So we assumed that they lived, but Colonel Lamb told me that uh, the pilot, the first our first kill. Was a real kill. Mm. Uh, the guy did not survive the ejection, and the other guy did, but he was killed in a dogfight later in the war. And uh, the two Mig seven, two Mig nineteen pilots had also deceased. Were also deceased. So, out of the six, only two of them were alive. And I got to meet one of them, mm. and uh, we sat down at the table, and we had, to, you know, just like we
0: came out of whiskey
2: two ninety one, yeah. came back to debrief our fight, and. You know, 43 years later, and we're remembering it the same way. And I said, well, it was 8 o'clock. And I said, my pilot, we, we departed the airplane and did a backflip. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, that was me. He says, I thought you were gone. You didn't he didn't think says, you'd recover it? No, he didn't. He thought uh-huh. you were. And he said, and then he looked in the mirror, and he said, oh, my God, you guys are behind <laughs> me. And as I saw the missile come off, and I, mm. you know, I defeated it. So, I mean, that was— Ooh. Yeah. But he confirmed, I I asked him that, that uh, I said, we surmised that we were supposed to fly in front of your formation going after the 19s and you would be on our six, right? He said, yeah. And then he said that they admitted that they had screwed up, but they hadn't left enough. Uh-huh. So, uh, so, I mean, it was huh. kind of a...
0: yeah. I mean, so let me ask you, these are former adversaries. I mean, theoretically, mm-hmm. if you were foot soldiers, you could have been fighting face to face. Now, of course, it's a long time since then. Was it cordial, professional? Was there was there any, not distrust, but hidden agendas? I mean, how was that meeting a former adversary? That has to be somewhat strange, I would it think. Was, uh,
3: it was very cordial, would yeah. you say, John? I mean, I, I, there is no animosity. No. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, I think, the Vietnamese today— uh, it's still a communist country, communist mm-hmm. government, right. but it's a capitalist society. And the reason they, they're doing so well is because of capitalism, not because of communism. Mm-hmm. And I think those former fighter pilots recognize that even though they are beholden to the communist government, mm-hmm. uh, they recognize the benefits of what has happened to their country since that war. There were 30 million people in Vietnam in 1972. There are 90 million people there now. So most of the people in Vietnam... Have no recollection of right. the war, mm, so the, except the people we were talking to lived it, right. and and I thought they were uh, very gracious, even the ones that had friends killed by right. American pilots. Mm-hmm. But we had the same thing too. We had you know yeah, there was sure. no animosity on on our part. Yeah. It was a, it was a very interesting visit, but also I think that one of the things that impressed me is that we went out to Kep Airfield on that trip, and they they shut down the base, they didn't operate any airplanes, and. We couldn't go on the base. We were off the base for about an hour. Mm. Uh, the next year, we invited the, the Vietnamese inter-reciprocal agreement to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we, when they came to San Diego during the Blue Angels weekend. Yep. So we take 25 Vietnamese pilots out to the Blue Angels weekend at Miramar. And they walked on the tarmac. And there's the F-22. There's the F-35. There's the F-18. Mm-hmm. There's every airplane in our inventory that they can go up and touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's the difference between a communist-controlled very controlled government,
2: and we got them to be guests in the uh, chalet mm-hmm. of the commanding officer of the base. A nice chalet with food and drink and everything right. like that. I mean, they were they were over the moon. Wow! I don't. They'd never seen an air air show before, I guess, because I don't think they do them over there. No. <laughs> I but guess like, uh, they
0: don't need to recruit people into the no, aviation. They, they just if, tell them if, if that's they going to do
2: in aviation, they that's say right. you are going to be a pilot. That was, that's what they did. <laughs> wow. But I think I think part of that too, and in my this is my opinion too, is that you know in the air war, we were fighting another airplane. It's not like you were on right. the ground and grappling with them in hand to hand combat right. or something like that. It's a different atmosphere mm-hmm. in that and i and I think the aviators are world over i mean we're we're pretty much all the same. We're kind of have the same mindset and everything like, like that mm-hmm. so uh there wasn't wasn't anything personal about it.
0: You did your duties, yeah, on they both were, sides. And, yeah.
2: and they were and they were they were defending their country, and we were doing what we were That's you know, right. ordered to do and so it was uh, – there was more of a – I don't want to – this is kind of a cliche maybe, but almost like a a, a form of chivalry where, mm-hmm. you know, like the knights mm-hmm. of, of old where they respected – well, look at the German um, pilots and they were – and uh, met their adversaries, United States, and those things went well. I, mm-hmm. Not so much the Japanese, but yeah. – So, no, I, I found it a very rewarding. Uh, I almost didn't go when Kathy made me go. <laughs> Kathy, and, being
0: your wife, yeah, my wife. Okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> but she said no. You're you need to you go. gotta go do it. It's Probably yeah. good
0: closure, I would think.
3: Yeah,
2: it's uh, I'm not sure what closure is, but it was it was fun.
3: Okay,
2: and to meet these people, and and I think you know we were treated. Uh, I mean, everywhere we went,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, the the population, you know, all Americans, you know, and they they wanted to talk to us and right. everything. So,
0: yeah. Well, they say time heals all wounds. It's a bit cliche, but, uh, you know, certainly that has been to our benefit. I mean, gosh, the Carl Vinson just uh, had a port call in Vietnam recently, the first Uh carrier in a long, long time. So, you know, we're we're friends with the the the, Japanese. We're friends with the Germans. I think bygones can be bygones.
2: Yeah, and uh, after we had, you know, debriefed our fight and all that stuff, and um, Colonel Lamb and I start talking, you know, what about your personal life? And I said, you know, what about you, family? He said, yeah, he's married, and, of course, we're doing all this through an interpreter. You know, mm-hmm. we're shooting our watch down, two the languages through an interpreter. <laughs> but um, he said he had uh, he had three daughters. He retired as a colonel. Okay. And I retired as a captain, same rank. Right. He has three daughters. I have three daughters. I said grandchildren. He had f- seven grandchildren. I have five grandchildren. We talked about that. So I, I laughed and I said, uh, well, uh, we beat you in the air, Colonel. I said, but you beat us in the Grand Kansas Department. <laughs> And he laughed. He thought that was so funny. And uh, then I told him, uh, I, I told him, I said, well, you know, uh, later after our dog fight, I said, um, three months later, I said, I was shot down by a surface air missile, and I said, I became a prisoner of war over in Wallow Prison there, the Han Hilton, as we called it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hadn't noticed it, but uh, I held up my left hand like this, and I said, and this is this is my. Souvenir from the war, if you hmm. will, and you can't see that on this microphone here. But I, my left thumb was amputated in prison when I was a prisoner of war. So I came back. I came back from the war a little short-handed, so to speak. And uh so he looked at that, and his eyes got big. He reached out and he took my hand in both of his hands, and looked me right in the face, and through the interpreter, and he very sincere he says, "I am so sorry." For the suffering you experienced in my country, hmm. I mean, just—I mean, just so
0: human you know. to human, yeah, right. In other human words, yeah, there's so many things we may not agree on, but you still suffered, and yep. it was in his country, and he's just connecting with you as a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome.
2: I found that kind of touching myself. Wow. Well. Anyway. I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting... No, we've gone deep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We went very deep. Well, but I I think that's almost... I mean, I say this on every episode. We could obviously go on and on and on about the F-4, but I think we've covered pretty much everything I wanted to cover. Let me just ask you this, though. In 30 seconds, you know, they call it an elevator speech. How would you summarize the F-4? And, uh, Tiger, we'll start with you. I mean, if someone came up to you and said, I've never heard of the F-4 before,
3: what is it? I think McDonnell Douglas did a wonderful McDonald at the time did a wonderful job designing an airplane that met specifications and exceeded those specifications and it turned out it could do a lot more than than what it was originally designed mm. to do because it was well designed it had robust engines it had robust uh, weapon systems that could be developed and improved upon and I, to me that's the the uh, the secret to the airplane i think is that it it was not it was not a a one-stop shop it could do everything Mm. and even though it wasn't initially designed for that and and quite frankly the the best part about that airplane were the engines i think Mm because they were unbelievable unbelievably solid thousand hours and i never came back single engine not once
0: no kidding there are so many military aircraft throughout history many of them are good aircraft of course there are some poor ones too but john ed would you be willing to call the f4 phantom 2 a great aircraft
3: Absolutely, a great yeah. aircraft. It had its faults. Mm-hmm. Almost every airplane has some kind of a fault. Sure, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine an airplane that did as many things as well as it did for its its era. Mm. Yeah, sure.
0: And fingers, what's your thoughts on the F four?
3: Well, I I think uh, I'd place it in
2: the iconic uh, classification, mm. like a P fifty one Mustang, or you know any of those like that. And mm-hmm. for its for the reasons that not only did John just talk about, but here it was thrown into it it fought in a war you know it was not designed to do what it did mm-hmm. and yet every mission that it was given it did well it might not have been the best but it was good enough to be an, I i would call it an iconic airplane sure excellent
0: If you've always dreamt of a career in aviation while keeping your feet on the ground, then Air Corps Aviation is the place for you. Since 2008, Air Corps Aviation has been at the forefront of modernizing the airworthiness of legacy aircraft dating back to World War II. Their dedicated team specializes in numerous aerospace disciplines, including manufacturing, fabrication, restoration, and support, all while incorporating state-of-the-art technology. In 2024, Air Corps Aviation is expanding its team with job openings in engineering and computer aided design, quality, fabrication, and restoration. Live where others vacation in northern Minnesota while enjoying paid time off, health insurance and savings accounts, retirement plans, life insurance, and best of all, most Fridays off. If you're ready to be a part of a team fulfilling dreams through the preservation of historical aircraft, visit aircoreaviation.com slash careers and take your first step towards an exciting career in aviation. That's aircoreaviation.com slash careers. Visit today. Well, I want to thank both of you gentlemen for your time this evening to come into the studio and speak about the F-4 Phantom II. It's been very interesting and informative discussion. Thank you very much. Before we let you go, however, we always end the interview with how you got your call sign because call signs, let's face it, for us, (laughs) we know that they're fun and there's some good (laughs) ones out there. But for the listening audience who didn't live the lives that we led, they like to know how we got them. So uh, John Kerr, John Ed, as you're also known, but Tiger, why don't we start with you? How did you come up with Tiger? How did someone come up with Tiger for you, more to the point?
3: Well, it's usually someone comes up with a call sign, especially if you do something dumb. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I guess, I hadn't done anything dumb yet. <laughs> uh, so I had a classmate from college that was my roommate on the ship. And uh, we both were from Princeton. So Princeton's uh, old Nassau. Mm-hmm. So he he wanted to have the call sign Nassau. So he kind of lobbied for that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I, you know, we were the Princeton Tigers, so a Tiger would be a good one for me, I think. Well, it turns out he tried Nassau out and the controllers wouldn't didn't understand what he was saying and they thought Are you calling yourself asshole or, or what <laughs> that's what it sounded like over the radio sure so that one didn't go so uh, but tiger still stuck with me so
0: well tiger's an easy one on the radio it's got yeah, the right phonemes yes, yes. all right fair enough and so yeah like you said you never did anything sufficiently
3: i didn't do anything that dumb i did a lot of dumb things but i nothing that, that would stick as that's a call right. sign nothing that t- would make him change it
0: yeah. oh dear <laughs> and now for you fingers we've kind of already touched on it. I mean, you went over with 10 digits. You came back with nine and we didn't even talk by the way, about your, as you put it, what'd you call it? Unaccompanied?
2: Unaccompanied short duty.
0: All right. Well, so gosh, I don't know how to broach this without making the episode another half hour longer, but I want to do justice to it. Tell us what happened that day and some highlights of your stay and how long you were there.
2: Okay. Well, what you want is a thumbnail sketch, huh?
0: Wah, wah. <laughs>
2: Okay. The quick, quick and dirty is uh, three months after um, Muggs and I got the Migs, he was ordered out of the squadron. He came back and he took over Top Gun. Okay.
3: He, he was my
2: CO at Top Gun. All right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, when it was stood up as a squadron, right? All right. And uh, so I got another pilot. His replacement was a guy we all know and loved, uh, Mike Doodoo Doyle. And Mike and I were flying uh, together on twenty fifth of August, nineteen seventy two. Ironically on a same mission, a MiG cap mission. Okay. And ironically in the same airplane that Muggs and I shot the MiGs down in. Wow. And ironically on our thirteenth mission together. <laughs> uh we just crossed the beach uh and going to our cap station and we got taken under fire by, you know, several surface air missile batteries. And um uh, so we instead of fighting MiGs, we started fighting telephone poles. And uh, successfully dodged a couple of them, and I was remember I was looking behind us at one that we had just uh, defeated, and one went off over the cockpits, one that we didn't see, which is, I guess that's always yeah. the way it is. Yeah. And uh, next thing I knew, I'm sitting in the back seat, bleeding all over myself with my hand, uh, the shards of the the canopy, and the shrapnel hit. I was had my hand up in up the handhold like that, fighting the G's and, okay. and operating the the uh, ECM gear down here on the console. And, um, so I yelled at, my, at uh, Mike, I said, Hey, can we get to the water? And I looked forward and he, uh, he was obviously not flying that airplane. He was kind of slumped forward on, and we were about oh, 3,000 feet or something like that, about 400 knots or something going down. And I realized that, uh, you know, he wasn't flying that airplane. So I reached down with my good hand, ejected us both from the airplane well, wow. next thing I knew, I'm hanging in shoot chute uh, over a rice paddy coming down. Uh, tried to get my radios and make phone a uh, radio call to our wingman and let them know that I was alive, which was important. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I couldn't reach my radios. And uh, When I hit the windscreen, wind stream um, on the ejection, uh, my arms just flailed like a rag doll because I was one-handed and I didn't have the curtain. So... Dislocated both elbows, pushed them about halfway up inside of each arm, and uh, and the people in ground are shooting at me. I hear the bullets going by, but I I'm, I'm in the shoot not very long, thank God. And, uh, they, and they were bad shots. Hopefully, I guess, <laughs> or both, land in a rice paddy. They came along, dragged me up, and stripped me down of all my gear. Mm. And, uh, and then uh, after dark that night, they took me down to the main road, turned me over to the um, Uniform, uh military, mm-hmm. threw me in the back of the truck and took me to Hanoi, and uh, was in I was in a Wallow prison. I was in a room for, oh, I guess it was uh, 10 by 10, 12 by 12, something like that, you know, just a, a chair, a stool, and a uh, table, and a waste can over in the corner, and uh, they threw me on the floor and walked away, and I'd say maybe an hour or so later, they came back, jerked me up, made me sit on the stool, and the interrogator came in and started questioning me sitting on the chair and the table. Name, rank, silver, and date of birth. Mm-hmm. That's all I can tell you. It's like, well, you got to tell us more. you got to tell us what ship you're from, what, blah, 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 all this stuff. Right. I kept saying, I can't do that. Geneva Convention, code of conduct, blah, blah, blah. And um, it went on for, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. He got up. Walked out. The guard kicked me off the stool back on the floor. And that routine went on then for the next three days, oh, around the clock. Every few hours, they'd come in on the stool, a question. It wasn't always the same interrogator. I mean, mm-hmm. they had a watch bill. I was on the watch all the time. <laughs> and um, at one point there, t- toward the end of there, I was – I mean, I was a hurting puppy. And uh, I, I begged – for. I said, please, I need medical attention. I'm you know, I'm hurting. My arms were starting to discolor from lack of circulation, and my hand... Well, at the shoot-down site, uh, a kind Vietnamese lady came up, and she had a, a like a first-aid kit you might carry in your car, and she tucked what was... My you know, my thumb was severed partially, but she tucked it in the palm of the hand and wrapped it and wrapped it around and around and around to keep it from flopping around, mm. and then the blood soaking into it. So I looked at that. I didn't know what the hell's underneath there. Mm. And so one of the one of the interrogators at one point when i was begging for for uh, medical attention he said no you are not cooperating with us he said uh, you're dying we will let you die unless you cooperate with us you understand and so i got the picture and after that session i said i you know this is really internal conflict i mean a code of conduct And, uh, of course, he's telling me I'm dying and I've got a wife and three kids at home. And, you know, of course, I don't want to die, but uh, I want us to kind of – anyway, so I came up with a plan that next time they start asking me this, I would tell them lie about what squadron I was with and all that stuff and anything that I figured was of military importance I would lie about. Mm. Next thing came in and anyway, that – that seemed to satisfy them after I started answering more questions. Uh, it was almost, it wasn't anything that I had that was any value to them. It mm-hmm. was, they just wanted to let you know that they could make you do whatever they right. wanted you to do. And, and that was true of all the torture uh, throughout there. And uh, so after that, they came in and blindfolded me and took me out through a series of gates. I'm sure it was outside the prison to some medical attend- hospital or something, I guess, probably the same one John McCain was treated in, and um, took me into a room, operating room, and strapped me down on the operating table and held me in place. And with a few of his uh, physician's assistants, I'll call him, held me down and held my head. Surgeon came in and took off the gauze and looked at it like that and took a scalpel and amputated my thumb. No, no an- anesthesia? No just, anesthesia, no, oh no may I or... Very poor bedside manner, <laughs> and um, after that they, they stuffed it with you know, and wrapped it up, and then unstrapped me and took me to another room and took a couple of fluoroscopes, as you call it, of my elbows. You know, it's, this fluoroscope is kind of like an early, early pre-cur- uh, precursor to area uh, uh, before X-rays, mm-hmm. and it's just very. Really, Looked, held him up to the light, and looked at him for ten minutes, put him down, and his physician's assistant set me in a chair against the wall and held me in place. And he came over and put his foot in my chest, <laughs> took my arms and started pulling on them till they snapped back in place. <laughs> wrapped, uh, wrapped him up in some rudimentary splints, uh, blindfolded me, put me in the truck, took me back, uh, and I spent then the next a total of 30 days in uh, isolation until Mm -hmm. they caught me communicating with some other prisoners that were in cells around me Mm -hmm. and then they put me in with the group of those guys a big cell about 35 or 40 of us in one of these big long cells and uh, i stayed with that group throughout the whole thing until we came back with the last group of uh prisoners in uh twenty nine March nineteen seventy three.
0: So last in, last out.
2: Last in, last out. Okay. That was that was our plan. I mean that right. was a a rule, first in, first out. Right. And so uh yeah, I was I was lucky. I people say hey, you're crazy how I couldn't be lucky being a P.O.W. I was only there seven months. <sighs> if I'd have been shot down on my first cruise in nineteen sixty six off Coral Sea, I'd have been there seven years. <sighs> so seven years, seven months, that's I'll take that trade off any day. So
0: I'm sure that, that didn't make it. it easy day in and day out, especially with their some of their methods to get answers, but still no. dear, well, that you know. was that was
2: the only uh, uh which I would classify as torture that I experienced. Uh because I you know, I got there during the mm-hmm. during the holiday season. All the systematic torture and the ropes and all that stuff that the, the fogs had gone through, uh, was pretty much you know, gone. They were individual cases like mine where they they did it but mm-hmm. uh it, as a as a systematic thing it, it stopped so it was uh yeah i was wow. fortunate i came home and
0: what was got put the, back together
2: and got back flying what was
0: the disposition of your pilot
2: mike didn't make it um his remains came back 13 years after we did mm. and we he's buried in arlington we buried him in arlington oh. and uh so um I talked to his brother, who Jack Doyle, who is also a real at Fort Rio, myself, like myself, at the funeral. And mm. uh, Jack told me that the the forensic pathologists at Hawaii who look at all the remains when they come back right. um, indicated that uh, he was probably either dead when I got us out of the airplane or he probably didn't last much longer because of the, the trauma to the, the skull and all that stuff. Because, mm. you know, as a phantom, I mean, you guys— Pilots, you're much more exposed than we were in the back. You're sitting there with all that canopy and everything, and you know we had to, we were in the, the bunker back there, <laughs> so uh, I I didn't take as much uh, of the the brunt of the uh, missile like he did. Huh. So anyway, so Mike's uh, he's in Arlington right now.
0: All right. Well, God bless him and his family. Yeah. So uh, it's hard to make light and try to have fun with a conversation after a story like that. Thank you, fingers. Oh, but what I hey. want to touch on is that you made it flying again. And then some crass group of people decided to call you fingers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. the, the J. It's called fighter pilots. <laughs> well, I, well, my, my call sign up till, till that point, And the mm-hmm. squadron, it was hung on me in uh, VF 21 when I first joined the squadron there. And my, my last name is Ange. Right. And, um, most people pr- pronounce it inch, but it's inch in German, but anyway, so it was a um e n s c h so they they hung an i t on the end of it, and I was known as a inch shit inch shit <laughs> inch shit inch shit So, you know, all you, right what you know, the fingers is better <laughs> the more you fight it, the you know yeah. stronger it gets so wow, when I took over as a, oh after I got back on flight status after nine months of getting put back together at Balboa Mm -hmm. Hospital, and I convinced them I could still do everything in the back seat that I needed to to fly. If I had been a pilot, I never would have gone flying. (laughs) Couldn't have put speed brakes out, for Christ's sake. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, uh, but uh, they gave me back uh, flight status, and my first uh, assignment was on Top Gun. They were going to send me to... to, uh, that was in January of 74. I was nine months in the hospital and got released. And the Bureau said, well, you're going to write me orders that September to go to PG school and get a master's degree.
0: Postgraduate school, okay. In Postgraduate Monterey, school in Monterey, California. California
2: yep. yeah. Well, you know, I don't know that. But anyway, so Muggs said, well, send him out here to Top Gun and, you know, we can put him to work. Uh, he'll be, you know, SLJO. there." We give him a special projects or whatever, and do, do, do so. I went out there, and um, uh, about a week or two after I'd been there, the XO then Jerry Swatsky, I walked in one morning, and Jerry was taking a God rest his soul too. Uh, he's gone with now. Anyway, he had a box, and he was taking all his personal stuff in the XO's office and packing it up. And I said, "Hey Jaguar, what the hell are you doing? Where are you going?" He said, "I quit." I said what? He said, "Yeah." He said, "I can't take it anymore." Jerry had just he had just gotten married recently. I mean, okay. and he was he was a a navcat, not a navcat. He was an Ocan. He was a guy who had no college or oh, here college, something like that. A navcat, you know, where, Sure. So he was trying to get his uh, his degree at going to school at night, and his marriage, and then you know, and um, Top Gun is not, as you all know, mm-hmm. it's uh, Pretty consuming. it's not an eight to five job. <laughs> I mean, no. you're, when you're in there preparing your, your lessons and uh, flying two or three times a day and all that stuff. So uh, Jerry got, it was, he wanted out. So he called monks and said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. So he walked out and I'm standing there flabbergasted and, you know, a little while later, Muggs came in. And I said, Hey, what the hell's going on? Jerry just left me. He says, he says, Yeah. I said, You're the XO until you go to till you go to PG school. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> so I became the XO of Top Gun. Okay. And uh, of course, you know, JOs, and uh, I was a lieutenant commander. And, you know, Top Gun in those days, right? It, we were kind of Navy's answer to uh, McHale's Navy, I think, you know, two lieutenant commanders, a CO and an XO. and and the rest of them, a bunch of hard-charging Lieutenant J.O.'s right. that, you know, irre- irreverent bastards. Anyway, <laughs> so they couldn't have an X.O. with a name of Inch yet, So they had a contest to name the new X.O. Uh-huh. And there were, some of them were Hang Nine and this and that and other. <laughs> and they took a boat, and they came up with Fingers, and so they started calling me Fingers. Okay. And that's stuck from then on. So, anyway, it's. <laughs> So well, I, that was uh, you know. So that then I I spent two and a half years there because we were over at the O Club.
0: Well, what happened to PG School?
2: Well, that's I'll get to that. we oh. <laughs> I've been there a few months and I've come in and uh we were over at the O Club uh and sitting there with uh Captain Scotty Lamoro, who was confit at the time and Muggs and I were sitting a beer. And uh he said, uh, how do you like I think Muggs had something to do with it, but anyway, Lamoureux says to me, he says, uh, Well, Fingers, how do you like uh, being an excellent dog? And I said, Oh, this is great. I'm, I'm flying, getting a couple flights a day and backseat of T-38s and, and uh, A-4. And anyway, I said, Oh, this is cool. And he said, Well, you, you like that, huh? And I said, Yeah, it's come to an end, though. I said, I'm, the Bureau's going to send me to BG school in September. You want to go to BG school? And I said, you know, you you're supposed to say, "Well, yeah." yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, "Well, man, well, I'd, I'd rather be flying." He says, "How would you like to be uh, do a full tour as an excellent top Gun?" I said, "Well, yeah, I'd, that'd be cool, I can, Captain." But I said, "I don't, <laughs> I don't write the orders." He said, "Oh, okay. Well, we'll see about that." So pretty soon. Day or two, I got to set of orders. It was an excellent time. <laughs> Stay day. there. Stay there, and then right. you to PGCO. Okay. So I ended up being there. So wow, that was cool.
0: Well, golly. it's
2: timing, timing, timing.
0: <laughs> Fingers that is an amazing story from start to finish, and I'm sure you have more, but in the interest of those who might be sitting in their cars waiting to go into work because their commute is over and they're (laughs) listening to us, I think we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, I want to thank both of you for your, if my math is correct here, over 65 years of combined service to this nation, including almost a year in another country in austere conditions, and over five thousand flight hours in our subject of the day, the F four Phantom two, gentlemen. This has been an honor to sit down with you and discuss. And uh, John Ed, I'll just uh, turn it over to you if you have any parting shots. I want to thank you for being here.
3: No, uh, I'd like to thank you for what you do, though. I think it's. Uh, I've listened to some of the podcasts mm-hmm. now that I've, I've, after I've met you, and uh, it's a treat. And uh, I'd uh-huh. like to see this keep keep going.
0: Well, with guests like you, I think it will, because the listeners out there, if I may speak for them, a lot of them would have loved to have done what we've done. Maybe not everything you did, Fingers, uh, but, uh,
2: uh,
0: you know, life gets in the way, they don't have the eyes, something happens, and they're living vicariously through us, so thanks for sharing your story with them. Sure. Fingers, I'll let you uh, wrap it up, if you got any parting shots,
2: Well, i just like the second, uh, what he just said is, what you're doing here, I, I've listened to a couple of them, too, and... You know they, this is important. I mean, we're whether we like it or not, we're part of naval aviation history. Mm. And uh, if we don't tell these stories, we don't get this out to the generations coming up. That they don't learn from our successes and our mistakes. Mm. They are destined to do some of the same things too. So, I think what you're doing is, is a wonderful thing, and, and it's you know, and it's it's so. Uh, casual i, I mean I'm, I'm having a good time here just talking you know it's, it's like sitting uh, sitting around the the oak club with a and even have a an adult um,
0: and a refreshment a refreshment yeah, well i didn't bring enough and that's probably the biggest no, reason no. we need to quit so <laughs> excellent well thank you gentlemen both very much and i look forward to this episode airing i'm sure the listeners will really enjoy it thank you again
3: all right thank you all right
1: cool holy cow dude so may 23rd It was amazing to hear that shoot down story out of fingers, right? With the uh, section of 19s and the division of 17s and how they basically broke turn, his section, right? Broke turn into, if that's the uh, past Mm -hmm. participle or past tense anyway, into the division shooting down those two 17s with the winders. Pretty impressive. And then how about the fact that they met up in 2016 with 20 of the former NVA pilots and they got all the details on that bait and trap, I guess, tactic. Right. So I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. Of course, I've never been in a a skirmish or combat like Mm -hmm. these gentlemen have, but to to do that and – and then will go later and face your former enemy. I mean, talk about reconciliation at its finest. And, and the fact that they were all so professional and cordial and genuinely interested in each other's families, uh, that's that's just beautiful, man.
1: Yeah, it really was. And then um, also loved how when you guys went through the variations earlier in the first segment, you talk about the F4S with the AUG-10, right, and the smokeless motors, mm-hmm. maneuver slats, the high thrust. And uh, so there's smokeless motors Kind of touching on that a little bit, the dirty engines, right? So with the smokeless yep. the smokeless motors and thanks, yeah, sorry I couldn't be there for that discussion, dude. But uh, what you'll notice out of like B-52s and some of the older jets that have engine nacelles or en- you know engines hanging off their wings, that dirt actually comes because uh, the, the engine's running cold. But that's on purpose because they a lot of them, not, not the J79s for the F4, but they would actually inject water into the engine itself to keep different uh, components cool enough so that they wouldn't hmm. yeah cuz they had a basically material science issues if you will or, or manufacturing issues so the cooler it ran the less would actually be completely burned in the carbon chain right and just as you put very well in the interview you'd have these this particulate that would come out the back and it would usually have condensation nuclei and pieces of water coming out the back too so you get kind of thick so not only would it be black it would be thick black smoke so that's the reason why they had the dirty motors but then i think he mentioned when you go into min min blower right min afterburner right. it yep. it was just hot enough and the fuel mixture was just such that it actually had more complete combustion and it had less dirty exhaust so so you did yeah. it you did it well without me dude so bravo <laughs>
0: <laughs> well Every, once in a while, the blind squirrel finds that, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe the uh, F-4 carried water, but we have no. recorded the interview for the B-52, and the listeners will soon learn that it did. And so, yeah, oh, that's a great explanation. And yeah, I mean, gosh, Sunshine, that was just one of many things we talked about on this episode. I mean, the creation of Top Gun, like yes. we've already talked about, mm-hmm. the Vietnam, both then and now, being a POW, the shoot down, yeah. the shot down, yeah. the end of dog fighting, question mark? You know, uh, yeah. Uh, just wow. And, oh, and by the way, we talked about the F four Phantom too. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: right. We did, didn't we? Snuck it in there at the uh, end. Yeah, uh, that's that was right. Good. So great episode. Well, there's
0: a couple other uh, hanging chats. We, um, I, I had mentioned the F 14s TCS television camera system. I think what I was thinking there, Sunshine, was the infrared search and track oh, or the first yeah, on the F fourteen yeah, yeah, D. Yeah.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. So, so, yep. so the TCS is not IR, right? It's just EO, electro-optical. Correct. Visible mm-hmm. wavelength. Yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: Nice. And then uh, when Fingers was talking about getting an F4 for the midway, he yeah. didn't really mention, but he has a docent Dawson. I never know how to pronounce this docent, I guess. Uh, yeah. On the midway. Yeah. So was, he
1: was involved with getting the aircraft on there, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And he still does it. He's still a docent today, right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So, so folks in San Diego visiting or living otherwise, you know, roll over there and ask for fingers, or at least look for the gentleman in the red jacket with obviously nine fingers. <laughs> Hang
0: nine. That was an awful. Attempt no, dude, that was,
1: that's, dude, that's so Naval aviation. <laughs> oh, we are so thick skinned, or at least you yeah. gotta be thick skinned I that's love right. it. Absolutely love it. So. Yep. Okay, a
0: couple others. Uh, Turkey, the country, not the person, uh, (laughs) although I'm sure he would love to, uh, is still flying the F-4, according to my research. And Sunshine, what did you find to school me on the F-35 costing? Because they were taking a guess at it, but I think they underestimated quite a bit.
1: Yeah, they did. And then, dude, the thing is, Uh, I'm sorry. I got to go with the test pilot answer again. But when you figure in costs, you have non-recurring costs, which would be the R and D, the research and development. Right. And that, that is going to kind of get spread like peanut butter across the entire inventory Mm. now. So, so if you decrease the inventory, then that spread like peanut butter starts to build up more on each plane. So, so what will happen is you have this movie number based on how many assets are actually purchased or I should say manufactured. So anyway, all that aside, I'd say a good rule of thumb is $85 million. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. And that's, what, close to triple an F-18
0: and probably about double a Super Hornet. So that's a lot of money, but it's supposedly a very capable aircraft. And to, I yeah. uh, believe it was Griffin's earlier question, we definitely need to get that one featured here on the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Uh, your old buddy, uh, who was it? Uh, Skosh. He would have been a great yeah. candidate having flown all of them but maybe we can find someone else to get on the show just because we haven't done a second uh, visit yet from anybody but maybe we could bring yeah. Skosh back.
1: And good old Skosh actually he's going places in the Air Force dude so he, oh, got, good for him. Sucked, yeah, he got sucked up to what we call a data mask position so basically Ooh. a super secret squirrel thing so he's, ah. he's he's out of pocket right now but yeah uh, <laughs> Rost, Rost if you're listening you're out there and I'm going to come find you all for right. the interview so Excellent. there you go.
0: All right, a couple uh, more things here. Uh, fingers snuck in, and I didn't get a chance to explain it. <laughs> SLJO, which we're already going to have to be in the explicit category on this show, Sunshine. Yeah. So let me simply say that is the shitty little jobs officer. <laughs> it's, it's what everybody <laughs> gets when they're new. You know, you got to do yes. all the crappy stuff nobody else likes. And mm-hmm. then a NAVCAD is
1: a naval aviation cadet. Now, I didn't warn you. I was going to ask you. Do you remember what that is? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that program, I think was established no kidding back in 1935, and it was th- it was there to entice civilians and enlisted folk to become pilots. So I think the, the the entry requirements, if you will, you needed an associate's degree or two years of college completed, and then you had 18 months of training. And during that time, if you couldn't be married, and, nor could you get married during that training. And after that, once you got your training complete, you got your wings, you have a three-year commitment. And that, that program lasted all the way up until, I think it was October of 93. So was that 93 minus 35? Was about I think it was about 58 years that program was around. So hmm. it did a lot of good for the Navy.
0: Yeah. And as I recall, you might have already said this, uh, you didn't have to have a degree necessarily like you normally would for the Naval Academy or ROTC. They can work that in afterwards. But, yeah, it's not available anymore. I think, though, I still know – who is it? Proton was a NAVCAD maybe? Anyway, I've got some buddies that are
1: still hanging on from that old era. All right. Yeah. Sorry, just to interrupt you. One of my best skippers ever. So, uh, Dennis – call sign laser Lazar. He was a NAVCAD. Yeah. And so laser was an air crewman in helicopters and then went through the NAVCAD program, became a pilot and was an epic F-18 pilot and skipper, just a all around great, great American. I know I use that a lot, but he really was. Yeah,
0: (laughs) That's okay. Well, proof that you don't have to have a bachelor's degree to be a great pilot, but that is still pretty much the requirement these days, as we've talked about before. Oh, dude, well, I think I mean, gosh, that's pretty much everything on that. Uh, so, let's see. Yeah, all the,
1: oh, Patreon. Should we uh, let's let's hit on Patreon?
0: Okay, what's going on yeah. there? Well, so we have some new division leads. We have Richard Meredith, Will Hales, and Chris Wanacott, and new strike leads Danny Crevello and Chris Murphy. Now, sunshine, nice. as I alluded on the previous episode fifty one, mm-hmm. we okay. will be restructuring. Patreon, effective August 1st. And the reason is, is the same reason that even though there are cars on the road that are successful and good looking, the Mm -hmm. manufacturers still change them up every couple of years. And so we're going to do the same thing. We're going to consolidate down to fewer tiers. We're going to uh, delete the three lowest tiers. And we're going to offer more content and more recurring content. And it's just a way for us to just kind of clean up house a little bit, tighten things up, and also offer more value to the patrons who so generously support us. So we're really looking forward to the restructuring.
1: Yeah, given a, a nice good facelift, I would say. Absolutely. For sure. All right, Sunshine.
0: Well, whew, this has been one or two, I suppose, very long episodes.
1: What else is there this week? Hey, well, I just want to backtrack just a tad. That is that uh, when you guys mentioned the last F-4 to crash, that QF-4 out of Point Magoo. Uh-huh. So that, I actually knew that guy, unfortunately. Oh. He was an instructor of mine in Kingsville, yeah. So he left behind a wife and, I believe, two daughters. So his uh, name was Commander Mike, call sign Storm Norm. And just so full of life, man, just one of those... It's always yeah. tragic, but it's especially tragic the, the, for the family he left behind. And he was just such a dynamic, good personality. So unfortunately, he, he lost his life in the uh, coming into the, the break, if you will, there, April 20th of 2002. So uh, my, my heart goes out to his family. Indeed. Well, golly, I hate to end on a down note. Tell me something else. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, what, I'll tell you what, was, what was epic. Last thing is an F4, ladies and gentlemen, F4 Phantom. Reported by uh, our two great interviewers there, our interviewees, excuse me, went up to 98,000 feet. That's right. 98,000 feet. So, dude, I'm pretty sure that's an astronaut call, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. He gets the little extra special wings. Yeah, very exactly. cool. Well, I know the F4 Phantom 2 episode will be among our leading topics here on the aircraft series and sunshine once in a while, we should probably still look out for other things to talk about. I've got a buddy who was in charge of the Seer school. Everyone remembers that's the survival evasion resistance (laughs) and escape. And another Mm -hmm. thing is everyone has been asking for, there's three different people by name. Our listeners have been asking for one is chip Burke. And he flew pretty much everything. He was a Top Gun instructor. He did an Mm. exchange tour and flew the F-22. He flew the F-35. And he hangs out with the Echelon Front guys. He's been on Jocko's podcast. And so I think there's a good chance we're going to get him here on the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Awesome. once in a while, we'll take a break from the aircraft series. And I can't even tell you what's coming up next, folks, because I don't know. Maybe it'll be Chip. (laughs) Maybe it'll be a different aircraft. But I'm sure it'll be good.
1: It will. Flexibility is the key to air power. That's
0: right. Well, as always, we'd like to remind everyone that the views expressed in this presentation are the personal views of the hosts and our guests, and do not necessarily represent the position of the Department of Defense or its components. So until next time, what do you say, sunshine? Let's get out of here. Let's do it. See ya! You've been listening to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com or... Leave a message on our listener line, 877-MACH-101. That's 877-622-4101. Be sure to check out our website at fighterpilotpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For exclusive Fighter Pilot Podcast content, check out our Patreon page. Please like, follow, and subscribe to the show. And don't forget, share us with your network. Thanks for listening.